Good morning. Shall we pray? Father God, open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these are indeed extraordinary times. Unprecedented. Life as we know it has changed. In the past few days, we are not living in the same way as we're used to. And I wonder how you're feeling right now. The announcement that uh, schools are closing, restaurants, pubs, theatres, cinemas have to close. It has far-reaching consequences for millions and millions of lives. I wonder how you're feeling. Maybe you are fearful that uh, you're going to lose your job and you won't be able to pay your bills. Maybe you are depressed or down that you've spent years and years and years studying and now your exams aren't going to happen. Maybe you're anxious or nervous about catching the coronavirus and the impact it will have on you or your loved ones. Maybe you are really confused. What, what can I do? What is social distancing? I don't know how you're feeling, maybe some or all of the above. But if you're watching this and you're a Christian, how do we reconcile what is going on in our lives with the promises in God's word? After all, in scripture, God's promised us a life full of peace that transcends all understanding. A life that is delivered from fear. Hearts that are continually full of joy. A life lived to the full and souls that are 100% satisfied in him. Why this seemingly massive gulf between God's promises and my life today? If God has designed and enabled us to live in a certain way, why on earth don't we continually live like that, regardless of what is happening around us? Maybe it's because we're not living life quite as God has designed us to live. And the consequence of that is that some of us, many of us, probably all of us, experience times in our lives which are joyless, worryful, unfulfilled, and dissatisfying. But, but who here doesn't actually want to live as, or at least closer to, the lives that God intended us to live? And really, that's the crux of today's passage in John chapter 15. Could you open your Bibles, if you've got Bibles with you, uh, to John 15? We've heard verses 1 to 8 read to us, and we're going to be focusing on verses 4 and 5 and verses 7 and 8. I'm well aware there's an awful lot in this passage uh, that we won't have time to go into this morning. Um, but we are going to be focusing on some key messages in verses 4 and 5. A little bit of context then, just to see where are we in John's Gospel. So uh, Jesus has had the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. Judas has got up and left to go and betray Jesus. And they're just leaving the room they were in and they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples and he is well aware what's about to happen. They don't know. Jesus is preparing, equipping, 
training them for how to live when he is gone. So it's really relevant to us today, especially in light of today's extraordinary situation. Our first slide says, I am the true vine. Jesus is using an allegory. That's a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. And he says, I am the true vine. He says seven of these statements. This is the final one, I am the true vine. And it's interesting to note that there's an adjective in front of the word vine, the word true. Why is that word there? Does it mean anything? Is it significant? Well, if we look back at the Old Testament, what we see is that Israel had always thought of itself as the vine. It always thought of itself as the connection with God. And so Jesus is countering that thinking. He's, in the past, in the Old Testament, the Jews said, if you want to be connected with God, you've got to come through us as a people, as a nation. And they had put vines on, on their coins as a symbol of this message. And Jesus, using this allegory, counters that. He says, if we, the branches, want to be connected to God, the vine dresser, we've got to be connected through him, the vine. And indeed, it's only a matter of days that the religious Jews would be disconnecting those 11 disciples from their religion, from their connection with God, throwing them out of the synagogue because pretty soon they're going to be declaring Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So by inserting this word true, Jesus is clearly stating that the Jewish people are not the connection with God, but he is. So that's the context. So let's move on to the, how God has designed us to live. Turn with me to verse 4. We'll read this together. Remain in me, or some versions say abide in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or woman remains in me, I in him or her, he or she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, there's a lot in there, but the fundamental message is twofold. One, abide in me. Two, bear much fruit. And that's what we're going to look at. What does abide in me? What does remain in me really mean? What it doesn't mean is this. We don't have to think about Jesus for every single second of every single day. Not even a hermit monk could achieve that feat. What it does mean is this. Our original design is to live in dependence on Christ, as opposed to being independent from Christ. These are two totally contrasting options. Let's consider what independence from our creator looks like, because this is the common message we get from our society. The world says to us, independence is good. If you're independent from your creator, from your neighbor, even from your spouse, it measures success so often by the levels of independence we have. If you do not have to rely on anyone, 
you are successful. That's the message we get. If you can afford to buy your own house, your own car, your own smartphone, if you can afford clothes and food, you are successful compared to those who can't. And if you've got a really big house and a really fast car, well, you're even more successful. It's a subliminal message of selfishness. It's all about me. It's all about looking after number one with no reference to your creator or indeed anyone else. We've seen a lot of change over the past few, di few, few days and the threat of coronavirus has created an incredible response and reaction. I'll come on to some really positive things later on, but first of all, some negative reactions. Have you noticed how fear and anxiety has driven people to go to the shops and buy everything that they need for themselves? Why is there nothing on the shelves? Because people are looking after number one. They're looking after themselves. I found it really weird. Why are there no toilet rolls on the shelves? I couldn't work that out. Then I realized someone pointed out to me. It's not because they're looking after number one. It's because they're looking after number two. <laughs> I brought this along and uh, I'm gonna auction it online afterwards. So um, just get ready to bid. Uh, there's someone, uh, you can have that. And yet, when you step back and look at the world and the condition of the world, it's so obvious that independence is not how we're designed. The richest people are not satisfied. The most successful people are not fulfilled. The most laid back people do not have a peace that transcends understanding. And when life is tough, which often is, through illness or bereavement, there is no deep joy. Souls seek solace and satisfaction, but they find none. I'm not just talking here about people who don't follow Jesus. Christians too strive for independence. We try and plot our own course without reference to our creator. We think, oh, I, I, I knew my Bible. I studied it in Sunday school. I know what's right, what's wrong. I'll just make my own decisions. And weeks and months go past and we lose our reference and dependence on Christ. Instead, choosing consciously or unconsciously to depend on ourselves. And then bit by bit, we find ourselves not having that peace that transcends our understanding. Instead, we feel anxious, we feel overwhelmed. We don't have a deep joy when we pass through the inevitable valleys and storms of life. We find our souls longing for satisfaction in things that are not good and which lead to destruction. Why do I sometimes feel joyless, weary, full of anxiety and purposeless? It's because I'm not living in dependence on him. I'm not living as designed. So independence is a really easy concept for us to understand, but what does abiding in Christ look like? How do we live in dependence on him? And what happens when we do that? Abiding in Christ does not happen when you decide 
to follow Jesus. If it did, Jesus wouldn't be giving his disciples this teaching. And in fact, a few hours later, they all become independent of him and they turn their backs on him. Essentially, abiding in Christ begins and continues by believing in him and then listening, hearing his word and living it out by the power of his spirit in us. There is an ongoing nature to abiding. It's not a short-term thing. It is a lifelong thing. Living in dependence on Christ is not easy, but it is simple. Because it's as simple as acknowledging, I need you, God. It's having a spirit of continual and total dependence. Forgive me. Teach me. Lead me. Guide me, help me, save me. I cannot live as designed by you without you. And that is why reading scripture regularly and submitting to God's good and perfect will are the key ingredients to abiding in him. And there are consequences to a life of dependence on Christ. You see, if we live as designed, you can read this in verse 8 in front of you, our lives bear fruit. We will show people that we are his disciples and God will be glorified. In Jesus' allegory, the branches bear fruit because they are abiding in the vine and because the vine dresser is attending to the branches. What is this fruit that are borne by those who abide in Christ? Does it mean we're going to um, walk around bearing bunches of grapes from our bodies? No. What is this fruit? Fundamentally, fruit are the characteristics, attitudes, thoughts, words and deeds that make us more like Christ. You see, if you want to see how to live as designed as a human, you don't need to look further than Jesus. He was the embodiment of a person living as designed, filled with, inspired by, and empowered by God's Spirit. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the fruit of God's Spirit lived out in his life. Later on in the Bible, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 lists a whole load of characteristics that reflect this fruit. You, you probably know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. But he could have saved some ink and just written, be like Christ. And when you study Jesus' life, Throughout the Gospels, you see that wherever he went, whatever he did, and whatever he said, it was to glorify God. That was his purpose. We read in a couple of chapters later in John chapter 17, verse 4, these words from Jesus. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Wouldn't that be the most fantastic epitaph to have 
on our graves. I have brought you, God, glory on earth by completing the work you, God, gave me to do. Christ brought glory to his heavenly father because he only did and said the things that his heavenly father wanted him to do. And the result of obeying God was answered prayer. And that's the same for us. Read it in verse 7 in front of you. The consequence for us abiding in him is God answering our prayers. And when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And that brings glory to God. Read verse 8 with me. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Bringing glory to God is our ultimate purpose. Let's go back then to the beginning and ask ourselves, how then are we designed to live? God has designed us to depend on him, to abide in Christ, and also to be like Christ, to bear fruit in our lives, and share that with others around us. The next slide shows that in the context of eternity, there are only two ways to live, dependent on God or not dependent on God, abiding in him or not. But in the context of our temporary residence on earth, there are also two ways to live, bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. So in total, there are four combinations, abiding and bearing fruit, abiding, not bearing fruit, not abiding and bearing fruit, and not abiding and bearing fruit. You see, it's perfectly possible for people who don't follow Jesus to bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. are not solely owned by believers. In fact, some of the most loving, kind, generous, good people I know don't follow Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us because all of mankind is made in the image of God and quite capable of these qualities and actions. But God has designed us to abide in him and to bear fruit towards one another. Jesus summarized it, you probably are familiar with the greatest commandment. He said it in these very short words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Abide in him, bear much fruit. I mentioned earlier about some of the uh, negative responses to coronavirus. Um, we've also seen some most amazing and beautiful responses. We have seen an outpouring of fruit bearing, love, kindness, patience, goodness. Our God-given conscience tells us it's the right thing to do, to look after the poor and the vulnerable, to love our neighbour as ourself. And I've been blown away by some of the generosity and the kindness that, that we've been experiencing in our neighbourhood. But why don't we humans behave like this all the time? Shouldn't we? Bearing fruit shouldn't and needn't just follow disasters. Jesus doesn't say, bear fruit when the world has gone pear-shaped. Love, joy, 
peace, etc., flows out of a continual remaining in Christ. And as believers, we should, and I know, I know, I know, many of us are at the forefront of bearing fruit towards one another, whether we are in a crisis situation like today or not. Let me conclude. The key to effective Christian living and powerful fruit-bearing lives is not how much we know our Bibles. It's not how much we pray. It's not what church we go to. The key to being used greatly by God is abiding in Christ. If we abide in him, we will depend on him and we will become like him. Then despite trouble and uncertain times like today, we will live lives full of peace. In scary situations, we will be free from fear. In times of sadness, we will continue to have hearts full of joy. When life is full of pain, we'll still be able to live lives to the full. And when other things compete for our attention and our worship, our souls will be satisfied on him. And we will find, as we abide in him, we will bear fruit. Then we will be living life as God designed us to live. So let's abide in him, depend on Christ, and let's bear much fruit like Christ. Amen. God bless you and watch over you wherever you are. Let's finish by praying. Lord God, we need you. We always do. In good times and troubled times, we need you. We ask that your Holy Spirit dwelling within us will make us totally dependent on you, our creator, our sustainer, our provider, and our savior. And that each day, we will become more and more like Jesus, bearing fruit towards those around us. Amen.